The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he had sat down, his disciples came to him. He began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the land. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the clean of heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are they who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when they insult you and persecute you and utter every kind of evil against you falsely because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward will be great in heaven. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Our Gospel today, the beginning of the justly famous Sermon on the Mount, begins in a curious and important way. It doesn't begin, and the Sermon on the Mount doesn't exactly begin with the Beatitudes. It begins with something Jesus does. St. Matthew tells us, when Jesus saw the crowd, he went up the mountain. Just pause with that for a second. That simple statement at the beginning of the reading he saw the crowd, and instead of going to the crowd, which is what we would expect, or when Jesus saw the crowd, he taught the crowd, he moves away. He saw the crowd, and he went up the mountain and sat down, and his disciples came to him. Note that it doesn't say, and the crowd came to him. He saw the crowd. He went up the mountain, sat down, and waited. He waited for those who would follow him to come and move to where he is waiting for them. And then he taught them. It's a, an aspect of the Lord that we reflect upon far too little. 
and yet is very important. And physically, the echo should not be lost on us with regard to what we're doing here. Because many of you, I was watching, came up the hill to the place where the Lord is waiting today. And quite obviously, not everybody in the town of Manorville is here. <laughs> quite obviously, there are many people in Suffolk County who are not here with us today. And many of them are in other churches, but not everybody has come out. But note the importance of that. The Lord sees the great crowd. And on this day, seeing the crowd and letting the crowd see him, the Lord moved. And what was important for the Lord was that those among the crowd who really desired to follow him moved as well. And so they had to come up the mountain to be with him. And so this teaching that the Lord gives, the Sermon on the Mount, is the teaching that he imparts not merely to the entire world, but specifically for those out of the great crowd of the world who were willing to climb a little bit to be where he was, to move a bit to be where he was, so that when they teach him, when, when they came to him, he would be ready, waiting to teach him. Sometimes we have a very passive understanding of our faith. Jesus is always coming to me. I don't have to move. I don't need to do anything. But we see here, the Lord is pleased to make us move even a little, little bit. He's the one who has already crossed the great distance. He came down from heaven. So if he wants to go up the mountain a little way, that's really not withdrawing very far. But note what that does. It tests the reality of our interest. It tests the reality of our willingness to listen. Because if I have to climb, while I'm climbing, my heart is getting ready to hear. While I'm climbing, I'm doing it for a reason. I'm doing it for him. So that when I get to where he is waiting for me, my heart has already been opened without my realizing it. Because I'm doing it for him. This is the importance as well of coming out of our houses to go to Mass. That idea, that reality that we have to move for the Lord and we have to be together. Note the other thing that doesn't happen. When Jesus saw the crowd, he doesn't give each person a private individual appointment for a one-on-one -on -one meeting. Those who want to hear come up the mountain and they gather together. Because the Lord doesn't save us merely as individuals. He saves us as a people. On some levels, the classic answer to the question, brother, are you saved? Is yes, we are. Because faith is never merely a private matter. And as deeply personal and individual as our relationship with the Lord is, it is never merely private. 
There's no belonging to Jesus without belonging to his people. And notice here at the beginning of his teaching how he illustrates that point with that simple gesture. He sees the crowd. He climbs the mountain. And from the crowd, a family at a time, a person at a time, a people gathers around him. And he teaches them. Note how beautiful that is. That's the very essence of the feast we celebrate today, the feast of all saints. Not the feast of my patron saint. Not the feast of my favorite saint. Not the feast of the popular saints that everybody likes and knows. The feast of all of them. And it's an overwhelming number. We hear that in the first reading, don't we? This number beyond counting, shining in luminous glory that overwhelms the apostle as he looks. Who are they? Why are there so many? Where do they come from? He's overwhelmed at the thunder of their song, because so many voices lifted at once would shake the earth. He's overwhelmed by the sheer number of them, by the heavy weight of glory that he sees, each one shining like a star or a sun by himself, and yet so many together. What is he really seeing? But the glory of the Lord shining out through every one of those lives. Every one of those individuals. The Lord, who as scripture says, is robed in light as with a garment. And who dwells in unapproachable light. Allows that same light to clothe and radiate from those whom he has made new, his saints. And when we look at this, we see something very important. Because oftentimes we believers, when we think about and speak about salvation, make two mistakes. One is we make salvation into something cheap and insignificant. As if it is a given to everybody, however he or she has lived. Of course everybody gets to heaven. Of course everybody is saved. And know what that of course implies. It doesn't really matter how we live. It doesn't really matter what we believe. It doesn't really matter what we do. And think about what we've just said about ourselves. If salvation is that cheap, so are we. Because it doesn't matter if I'm good or not. It doesn't matter if I'm wicked or not. It doesn't matter how I act. As long as I think nice thoughts, I will be okay. It doesn't matter whether I respond to grace or not, because I just have a right to it. This notion of salvation is something automatic. 
in the end, honors not God, and it doesn't honor human nature either. Everything is made cheap by it. But the other error is to think of salvation and holiness as something that is so unspeakably difficult, why even bother trying? Because you have to be so perfect. That's not me. And we make salvation then so difficult. Holiness, so difficult and so unlikely, I give myself permission not to even try. Not because I don't want to, but because who can succeed? And so note what we hear in that first reading. It's not as rare as you think it is, as the first message. How is it that there are so many? And note what the Lord is doing in this overwhelming vision. Holiness is more accessible to you than you realize. Salvation is not impossible. It may be difficult. It may require work. But there are more who set themselves on that journey than you think there are. And the implication is, and you can be one of them. But it requires doing something. It requires moving. It requires acting. It requires participating. But it's not impossible. Note the beautiful message in that vision. Yes, the gospel is not a simple thing to master and live. But it's also not impossible to allow the gospel to shape our lives and master our lives, and produce holiness within us. All can step on that road. Maybe not everyone finishes, but it is more possible to walk that way than we often think. That's the great message of today. We celebrate all saints, including the ones who are on the way which could be any one of you. And unlikely that it is, it might even be me. <laughs> you, know, and, you know, that's not a bad way to think of ourselves sometimes. Unlikely as it is, that just might be me one day. What a great way to think. No, it's not a guarantee, but it stresses that it's possible. That this is a journey that we can make and we can make it together. That's why the words of the collect, the opening prayer for today's feast day, are so absolutely powerful and beautiful. And again, you've heard me say this a number of times, but I can't stress it enough. Cultivate the skill of paying attention to the opening prayer at Mass, especially on feast days, because there is always something there for you, always. And so today, the prayer picks up from that first reading about the great number. By God's gift, we celebrate today all of the saints, not just some. All of the holiness His grace has produced, all of the goodness 
all of the merits that their lives have shown forth. And then we say, grant that, aided by so great a number of intercessors. Think about that for a second. That great cloud of luminous glory that the apostles saw. Every single one of them praying for you. Imagine that for a moment. Imagine that for a moment. All of that holiness, all of that merit, all of that goodness, not separated from you, but concerned about you. Praying for you. Because even as we rejoice in their victory, their great desire is that we share it. They are our brothers at the finish line, calling us to join them, cheering us forward, longing to share that glory with us, even as we rejoice in what has happened in their lives. And we must learn to do that. We are often selfish in our joy. We rejoice over what makes me personally happy. We rejoice in my accomplishments or my family members' accomplishments. We need to stretch that idea that we rejoice in these accomplishments, in this glory, in those who likewise will find joy in our joining with them. How absolutely wonderful. But aided by so many intercessors, May we receive, and it's a wonderfully strange way of putting it, an abundance of that reconciliation for which we long. What on earth is an abundance of reconciliation? You know, wrap your head around that for a moment. It's not just give us reconciliation, but give us an abundance of it. Because our lives long to be completely united with the Lord, long to be completely reconciled with Him, not partially. We make the mistake of being content with second best, with partial. But what a great prayer. With so many praying for us, let us dare ask for an abundance of reconciling grace. Let us dare ask for an abundance, in a sense, of that which leads me to salvation. Let us dare ask for not just mercy, but an abundance of it. What a great prayer that is. That's the prayer of the church this day. A prayer that spills over into tomorrow's commemoration of all the faithful departed. Because this abundance of reconciliation for which we ask today we will ask again tomorrow on behalf of our loved ones who have passed away that from this great treasure of merit and glory and goodness, the mercy and the grace of God might flow forth upon us and our brothers and sisters who have fallen asleep. What a marvelous day. 
What a marvelous way to gather on this day, we who have climbed the mountain where the Lord waits for us. Because in just a second, he will be here on this altar. We've climbed the mountain where he sits and waits. And then we'll come forward again, climbing a second time, in a sense, as we leave our benches to come forward to receive him. And as we take him into our hearts, he will sit there and he will teach us that beautiful way those luminous and glorious brothers and sisters of ours dedicated themselves to walking. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the merciful and the makers of peace. Blessed are those who long for righteousness. Blessed are those whose struggle to be good brings them hardship. Blessed are you. Blessed are you. And as we embrace that, little by little, even on this fallen side of eternity, that bright light of the glory of Christ begins to shine forth from us. And if we, as his people, could truly embrace that, how much more clear the goodness of God and the grace of salvation would be in this world that has learned to look away from such things. How important indeed is what we celebrate today. Amen.